Welcome to the Kind Faith Bible Podcast. Conversations about how we read the Bible for newcomers and nerds alike. Hey everybody, welcome to the Kind Faith Podcast. I'm Jeff. I'm Tyler. And we're super glad that you're here. And we are engaging in talking to Bible experts and Bible newbies around issues that matter and especially issues that don't get talked enough about in church, probably because they're hot topics. Yeah. Let's pick up a hot topic today. We decided, I don't even know how we decided several podcast episodes ago that we would talk about critical race theory, but here we are. We're going to talk about I know about how it. we did that. Oh, you remember? Well, because you just kind of tossed it out there as a little landmine. And it's like, well, yeah, of course we did talk about this. It's, yeah. It's a very hot topic and it's super relevant and... Thankfully, the Bible has a ton to say about it. So uh, we're, we're on solid ground talking about this, but it makes a lot of people suck in the air from the room whenever you bring it up. So. Yeah, it makes people bristle, but we're excited. We're excited you're tuning in. And, and here are two qualifiers for this. One is we're both, I'm, last time I checked, white. White dudes. We're both white, upper class, middle upper class, um, and we we know that and we see that. Fortunately, as we talk about critical race theory, part of what it does is it broadens out the idea of race to being not just associated with skin color, but um, pushes it into being a social construct. So it actually gives us more entree yeah. to talk about race than otherwise. Can I- Oh, you go. Second qualifier. The the second qualifier is neither of us are experts on this. And so what we want to do actually is walk into a hot button topic and and give pathways and handles from where we're sitting as a level of ignorance. Because it's often we don't feel like we're expert enough to be able to talk about it or understand it. We need to go find experts to talk about it. But in this internet age, we end up spinning around websites and that becomes the heart of what we know. And that can be helpful, but often is incomplete. And Mm. so we want to talk about how to approach this and other hot button issues. Um, You pick it, Black Lives Matter, global warming, um, vaccines, all of that stuff. Um, how do you how do you do this responsibly as biblical Christians? Yeah, I was just thinking maybe to start a personal story of my first kind of entrance into this type of conversation, talking about race and ethnicity, and like I grew up in very white um, culture, and and my own upbringing, I never talked about race. If you had asked me what my own race and ethnicity was, I wouldn't have known how to answer it. Uh, and, and I think that uh, I can't make a blanket statement, but it t- tends to be true for a lot of people in um, white dominant America that we grew up in a place where we just never had to talk about it. And it, so sometimes this conversation can be uncomfortable. It was in college. My mentor through InterVarsity, our close friend, Ryan Pfeiffer, gathered a group of about five of us together. We love you, Ryan, if you're listening. Yeah. About five white guys got together for a Bible study. It was an InterVarsity, the college campus ministry that I'm now part of again. And uh, he got us together and he said, hey, we're going to study this book. It's called Being White. And I was super like nervous. Like, I, this is this is weird. Why are, you, why are you making us talk about this? Like, does it have anything to do with scripture? But it was this great book on what does our faith have to do 
with our ethnicity, and it was targeted toward white people. Uh, and, and it's a, it's an excellent book. It's written by another friend of mine, um, Doug Schaup. And so anyway, we studied this book together. We got together and we looked at how does how does who I am, all of who I am, my my gender, my race, my my background, all of it have to do with my faith. Uh, we called ourselves the the tidy whities. <laughs> anyway, uh, you said this was college. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. it. In college, we had a little fun with it, but it was just the first the first time where I felt comfortable exploring this part of who God's made mm-hmm. me to be. And then it, mm-hmm. it set me off on a journey to want to keep asking, what does this have to do with these kind of like more detailed conversations like critical race theory? That sounds like a really ominous term. Mm-hmm. Um, what does it have to do with scripture? Does the Bible even talk about this topic? And so it started me on this journey that um, continues to to expand my understanding and get me really excited to get to know people that are not like me. My, my story is a little more simple. I've spent my entire life apologizing that I'm white. Mm. I mean, really, I'm, I'm, I know I come from privilege. I grew up in, a, in an affluent part of Austin. There was a clear east side of the city or east side of the tracks. And when I got to high school, college, it became really clear that it was no longer okay that you were white. Mm. You were um, you were a part of the oppressing culture, and your responsibility was to call out any form of racism that you saw. And and I, I, I and I'm not criticizing that. I think there's good to that. I I think the flaw in it, from the perception that at least the culture I was living in delivered to me, was that this identity that I had was something to be apologized for as opposed to something to be redeemed by Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's the overarching story of this of this whole reality that there is a redemption story to be had through the entire from the height to the depth of all of creation that Jesus is working in 2 Corinthians 5 I think it's 17. The declaration is you are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And that newness isn't just an idea. I have a new idea or a new title. I'm a saint or a child of God. The newness is the recreation of an entire fallen world. So, yes, did I need to examine and understand the way I was racist Absolutely. Was I? Absolutely. Did I do things that were inappropriate? Yes, I did on multiple levels. Um, and I was also part of a larger system, the fallen world. So that's that's what gets us to this idea of critical race theory. As I look at it, I'm going to read a, 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 a definition in a moment about critical race theory. But as I look at it from... An ignorant person's eyes, I look and say, this sounds like a description of a fallen world. Mm. So here's the, dis- here's the definition that I found. It's been one of the most helpful. I, I Wikipedia'd this and I looked at it at Wikipedia and I've looked at a bunch of other. And then I went to the old standby Encyclopedia Britannica. And the Encyclopedia Britannica, for those of you who are old like me, we used to have them in volumes on our bookcases because that's the that was the internet back then. You pull, pulled out a book and did an alphabetical search for the topic you wanted to study. Here it is. Critical race theory. An intellectual movement, a loosely organized framework, 
of legal analysis based on the premise that race is not a natural, biologically grounded feature of physically distinct subgroups of human beings, but a socially constructed, culturally invented category that is used to oppress and exploit people of color. <clears throat> There's the definition. I can already point out some problems from an intellectual position with this uh, definition because the very last three words are people of color. And it said that this wasn't based on color <laughs> in their definition that it was socially constructed. However, we can nitpick all we want, but as I read this, I, I look back at just the history of the United States and, and there was racial oppression against the Irish. There was racial oppression against the Polish. I used to tell Polak jokes. Hmm. I didn't even know where they came from. I just told them because that was the thing that you did. And, and now everybody's grouped in different groupings, but throughout human history, there have been groupings of the haves and have-nots. And the, the power structures of our humanity put us in a consistent place, it seems to me, Tyler, of the haves trying to maintain what they have. Mm -hmm. And the have-nots trying to get what they don't have. And herein lies the, the reality of our fallen humanity. Yeah, and maybe as I just try to simplify all that in my own head, the, the conversation today seems to be, uh, it's actually an old argument that keeps getting rehashed in different ways. It's now this new label has been attached to it, critical race theory. But really, it seems like the question is on, on different sides of the argument is, is racism or bigotry something that is only based on the individual? There's no higher system or, or category that I'm a part of. It's just, it is my actual action racist towards someone else uh and and so then and this this kind of finds its roots in uh you know american protestantism where we really care about the individual it's our individual salvation and our individual re relationship with jesus that matters so how could i ever think of sin outside of my own individual place uh so that's one on the other side is is it more systemic is there a a, a system that we are a part of uh, one of my favorite analogies or images to use is like the the moving sidewalk in uh, an airport right are we as a society on a sidewalk even if i'm standing still that would be like some me saying I, i'm not i'm not a racist i'm not doing anything i'm just standing here uh, but i'm still actually moving forward mm -hmm. on this moving sidewalk so as a society are we moving in one direction um, that would be a systemic argument or are we just a bunch of individuals who have to deal with uh, not hating or hurting individuals. Yeah, one of the axes that this argument is being, or, or battlefields that this argument is being fought over is exactly that, individualism versus the entire uh, system and its responsibility. And what responsibility do I have for the system? And what is it that is just me? And radical individualism seems to be one of the voices that's fighting yeah. hardest against this. Yeah. I just want to give everybody a, a shout out to Malcolm Gladwell's newest season of Revisionist History. Okay. And he does a deep dive into the U.S. News and World Report. Uh, uh, um, <clears throat> what is it? Study every year or statistic every year of the top colleges and their ratings. And he, he discovered that after doing a deep statistical analysis that you can accurately predict which schools 
will be ranked and how they will be ranked based on four factors. I'm going to forget the fourth, I think, but I'll get at least three. The size of the endowment, the cost of the tuition, and the percentage of white students at the campus. There's mm. a fourth and I can't remember. Mm. But it was just a, a, an example of, okay, here's a system that everybody uses to value schools. And in it, inherently, somehow, and there's no, there's no accusation that the U.S. News and World Report people wanted to bias this thing toward white people, but the system itself created a bias, whether that is something that happened before that communicated into the rating system or a result of the rating system or a feedback loop that itself created, but it's done something pretty damaging because there are schools trying to educate at-risk kids of all color and are getting devalued on that report, which means they get less funding, less notoriety, less support, and they're doing their best to reach out to kids who are at risk and to lower tuition, and they don't get big endowments because they're spending all of their money getting kids scholarshiped into schools. It's a fascinating look in. Now, fascinating and flawed as all of this is. So yeah. But it speaks to this reality that there there are systems in place that that put an advantage in the hands of of certain people of privilege who happen to be people of color in our country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's um you know, just bringing it a little closer to home and then I think we should bring it to scripture, but um we we've talked about our local school system and San Martin Gwen uh, is one is an elementary uh, through eighth grade school that when you get into the actual program of what they're doing there's some they have great top notch teaching students that go there are are learning a bilingual education and they're getting some great stuff but their uh, test scores put them at one of the lower schools in our district because they do have a lot of students that are. Um, what's the category, but, um, need, needing financial assistance. They're, they're, they're coming from kids, they're at risk kids, but they're also coming from, um, more, more of our communities that, uh, don't have English as a first language, you know? And so there's a lot of reasons why their, their actual national test scores are lower, um, than some of the other schools in our district. And I remember even as a parent coming in to Morgan Hill, looking at the different schools and we started to rank like, oh, we want it. We want our kids to go to that school and oh, look at the test scores over there. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was that's just one category. When you actually get into the the mix of what is actually going on on the ground, we we, you could realize, oh, actually sending our kids to San Martin Gwen versus, I don't know, Nordstrom or Paradise, they would actually still be getting just as good of an education. So it was just an interesting uh, personal grappling that that Melanie and I had to had to deal with. Ooh, that does bring it home. It, yeah. it makes it yeah. really practical. And all of this is not to say shame on the rating system and shame yeah. on scores and shame on parents who who want to send their kids to a school where kids tend to score higher. How else do you make a decision? Right. So so all of that's at play, but it is an acknowledgement that okay, in 1989, that's when critical race theory started. Some that will officially Legal experts began to look at the United States legal code and identified a reality that it tended to be skewed toward people of color. 
and and in a skewed in a negative way toward people of color. And that was the beginning of it and the questions around why did this why did this happen? Why are the laws written the way they're written? And what is the impact they're having? So all of that speaks to this beginning theme of we're in a fallen world. So the fact that fallen people are now popping up their heads and saying, look, yeah. our legal system is messed up. And actually how we've functioned as a country for for hundreds of years, a part of it is messed up. I don't hear them saying the whole thing is, but there's significant adjustments that need to be made. And, and I think our deep frustration comes in that the attempt is to bring redemption of the system through human means. Yeah. There, it needs to be corrected, but ultimately it's not going to find its perfection in human efforts or legislation. It's only going to be in the coming of Christ. Yeah. All of that said, let's step back for a second and look at some scripture. When yeah. we started to talk about this, you, you had one scripture from the Old Testament that immediately yeah. came to mind. What came to mind? Well, actually, just one I, I wanted to bring up first, Galatians 3.28. I think, at least for me, it answers the question, should we even be talking about this? Mm, mm. And then I want to, uh, I, I would bring us quickly through um, Genesis 3 through 11. Um, we tend to think of Genesis 3. I said one scripture, tell uh, That's one passage. It's all just, anyway. Okay. <laughs> quickly. But you could bring in others as well. So, so Galatians 3.28, Paul writes, There is neither Jew nor Greek neither slave nor free, neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Mm. Um, that is one of the most inclusive verses in the ancient world. Um, many people have commented on that. Now, one approach, and what do you think about this? But I've heard people use this to say, oh, we're supposed to just erase um, race and ethnicity. Mm -hmm. We should all mm -hmm. be colorblind because didn't mm -hmm. Paul write there is neither Jew nor Greek? Mm -hmm. um, my one pushback to that would be, yeah, but he also said there's neither male or female. And I haven't seen a single church out there that has done away with men's ministry and women's ministry. We still think that's important. We still know, we, we read this first and we know that Paul can't have meant I'm erasing my gender and we should no longer have men's ministry. Yeah, I love that. I, I love the idea. I mean, let's just go back at it. We did this a, a few months ago, but we talked about colorblind. And just, just to throw that, can we get rid of that phrase? It is important to be evaluating consistently your racial biases and to mitigate those. And I understand that's how most people try to use that is when I, when I, um, engage with someone of a different race, I try not to see them as that race. That's legit. However, the idea that I'm going to relate to them away from their core identity, they are black or Hispanic or, and I am white. And it is important that you engage me out of my white privilege. I'm a person of white privilege. So I'm not sure what that means. Yeah. I, I'd love to talk to my friends of color and say, well, what does it mean to relate to me as a, as a white person of privilege? But, it, but it, to say it and to mitigate my racism, yes. To say it and whitewash someone's identity and not acknowledge that they have significantly struggled or they have stories, or maybe they haven't. Maybe they grew up in a black privileged family. I don't know what that would look like. I don't yeah. understand it. But um, yeah, and we talked about this a few weeks back when we were talking about discerning God's will um, in an echo chamber. If um, I think as Christians, we have to consistently reevaluate are the people that are speaking into my life 
do they look and think just like me? Mm -hmm. In that case, I'm in an echo chamber. Uh, and the more that I can diversify, bringing in people, I, I need, I'm a white dude in America. I need to make sure that I have voices that are not just like me. So mm -hmm. female voices and other races, ethnicities, cultures, uh, age demographics, all of it. And the, the more that we can do that, the better we're going to be equipped to, I think, discern God's mm -hmm. will and, and to keep moving forward and growing. And for those of you... Um, who are the one person of color with a big group of white friends who gets tired of being the representative of people of color. Thank you for being the representative of people of color. <laughs> like, thank you for doing that and standing in that gap. We understand it's exhausting. We also understand that you cannot speak for every Asian person yeah. or every black person or every, we get that. And uh, at least for me, I can speak for myself. I'm, I appreciate that you speak to me and, um, and it, try to help me as I try to understand. I don't know any other ways to personally understand than to in, engage people. Mm -hmm. But I can't just grab somebody at a grocery store. I got to start with the relationships right. I have. And I tend to run around with people of my same color and background and socioeconomic um, mm -hmm. status. So yeah. all that, that, that's that said. So let's, let's talk about, so, so whitewashing, not treating people with their identity is not what's being called for scripturally. That may be what our culture is calling for. So we're talking about a biblical call. Mm -hmm. So I, and again, I'm, I'm ignorant. So people of the, who are, proponents of critical race theory i don't know do you know if the call is hey treat everybody as um as one single race without any specific identity connected to their race i, I haven't i don't think that's being like done that. I, I i i can understand if people think it is based on what's happened with men and women in our country because that has been the conversation with men and women Women should be treated exactly like men and men should be treated exactly like women in mm. our culture. I, I have not, I've seen less movement toward acknowledging the distinctives of the genders mm. in our culture. And I, I'm speaking in hugely broad generalities, right? <clears throat> but yeah, I haven't seen that with race, but I'm open. So maybe just to shift gears a little bit and take us through some scripture, I think it, this has been really helpful for me to see the origin of sin in scripture is beyond just Genesis chapter three. It's actually, you, you need to, you need to combine all of chapters three through 11 mm -hmm. to see what exactly is this thing called sin. Um, we in Protestant America typically stop at chapter three and say, okay, God made the world. It was good. Chapter one and two were, were, were great. Then chapter three, they ate the fruit, Adam and Eve fall. And now we call that the fall, right? Um, and that feels, if we stop there, it feels like we have a good case to say sin is individual. It was two individuals who ate the fruit, rebelled against God, and mm. then every other human after that mm. ate the fruit and rebelled against their creator mm -hmm. in some mm -hmm. metaphorical way. So we, if, we all, if we stop at chapter three, we have this narrative that all of us as individuals have made the choice to rebel against God, and that's sin. Mm -hmm. Okay. That, and that is, that is part of it. I'm not mm -hmm. like, certainly in the, our individual relationship with God is absolutely critical. Yes. Um, but we can't stop there. One stop of my there. big pet peeves is that the bulk of the commands in the Old Testament and the judgments that come, even in some of the New Testament, 
is to the church yes. in Corinth, the church in Colossae, the people of God in Israel, not to the individual. I mean, just no. think about an individual. Let's say we're in the desert and I was reading this yesterday morning and the people made a golden calf. Well, what if I'm the one faithful Israelite who stood on the outside of the crazy frenzy while they're making the golden calf saying, this is not a good idea. Yeah. Yet I'm judged. I I stood for what was right, but my identity was not individual. My identity was wrapped up in the people. And even though I tried to do what I thought was good, I was a part of a people who chose to disobey their God. Mm-hmm. That's a hard truth for an individualistic culture. Right. Even saying that out loud, I'm uncomfortable. Our connection, you're right, our connection to the people group. And we're, we're going to get there because chapter 12 is God's calling of Israel, a people to be the response to the whole problem of sin. And so you've got Adam and Eve falling. Uh, but chapter four that now is two brothers. One brother kills the other, right? And so now there's not just... Uh, Two individuals falling from God, but now families are mm-hmm. being impacted. Mm-hmm. By the end of chapter four, um, you have uh, this fat, like one of the first poems in scripture, Lamech, one of uh, Cain's descendants, uh, says, look, pay attention to my words. And he starts boasting. I killed a man for wounding me, a boy for striking me. Cain was paid back seven times, Lamech, 77 times, right? He says, what? If, if, if Cain took revenge seven times, I'm taking it 77 times. Already you start to see... Like now Lamech becomes this image of boasting uh, for sin. Sin is now increasing, I would say. It's not just an individual. It's start, you're starting to see the hint that it's, it's growing beyond. Um, it's mm-hmm. becoming, you know, later text in the Bible calls, uh, talks about the principalities and powers. Those are kind of fancy language. But it, it, there's something growing. It's not just a bunch of individuals breaking the law. There's, mm-hmm. There seems to be a power at work and it's, it's expanding um, I would say chapter six is interesting. You you have the flood story, but right before the flood story is this really weird story where um, apparently angels are coming down and having sex with the daughters of humans and creating giants in the world. There, mm-hmm. there were Nephilim in the world that day, right? That's chapter six. And a lot of people get hung up on chapter six, verse one. It's just weird. Four. You're like, just, what just, just happened there? Yeah. But, but Russell Crowe's movie just solved that for me. You're right. I kind of like that movie. Rock Giants. We'll get there later. But, um, but <laughs> Rock Giants were weird. And, and there's a whole facet. One and of, I don't mean it. One of these days we, we can tackle what, what was going on there. Um, but at least episode. it speaks but, to this reality that, that sin moved from individuals to family to communal to universal. Some it's, sort of spiritual component is happening. There yeah, is a exactly. movement that's happening throughout creation. It is, it's a disease infecting everything that God Yeah. Made. And then, so it was, it was out of that. It's all, it's all flowing in a context out of that whole weird story of the, the angels and the, the men, uh, uh, angels and the daughters of men. Uh, verse five in chapter six says, the Lord saw that humanity had become thoroughly evil on the earth. Every idea their minds thought up was always completely evil. There's this like expansion of sin where it's like, it's out of control. Um, I'm, f- I'm speeding through this, but I think you get all the way through the flood story. You eventually land in chapter 11, this, the Tower of Babel, where now it's, it, it has this picture of all of humanity united in one voice in opposition to God. It's, and, and they're actually trying to create a, 
a tower for themselves. It says, let us, re- let us make a name for ourselves to reach the heavens, to get up to God's level by on our own. So we don't power. need him. We don't need God anymore. And we don't need his, right. But some of the key languages there, it's not just, there's not an emphasis on, it just so happened that all as individuals, they were making a choice and it was a bad choice. No, they're united in this way that mm-hmm. it's grown beyond that individual. I, mm-hmm. The way I'm reading Genesis 3 through 11, you see this progression of sin from the individual to the family to the systemic. It's now all of society. And it's kind of taken on a life of its own. Mm-hmm. That doesn't um, put the individuals off the hook. They're also still culpable, but there, there's some sort of connection between, yeah, as individuals, they're sinning against God, but also as a society, it's become yeah. rampant. It's out of control. So, And all of this ends up, so, so I mean, I guess the big question is, so what does this have to do with critical race theory? Yeah. And the answer to that question is God's cure for the sin itself is the creation of a people. Yes. He calls Abraham to create Abraham into a people. God creates a race. Yeah. And that race has a purpose. And interestingly, as we move our way through scripture, that race isn't particularly defined by skin color. Oh, no. So there's when they leave Egypt, people from Egypt go with them. Mm-hmm. And the Egyptians now become Israelites. Wait a second. Yeah. They weren't born of Abraham, but they become children of Abraham. How oh, does yeah. that work? That's a great point. They it, conquer Canaan, but plenty of Canaanites become Israelites. Absolutely. You got Ruth, a Moabite. Thank what, you. you know, or um, Thank you. And you, you have story after story yeah, or yeah. command after command where God says embrace the sojourner and the sojourner can get circumcised and the slave can get circumcised and become, become a part of the people of Israel through the sign of, of circumcision. So this, this, this kingdom of God is an incredibly inclusive race, but it's important to realize that it is a constructed race. And that's a part of what's going on with, with what people are noticing around critical race theory. That's the, that's the core theme is that, or a core theme is that, and within the definition is that race is a social construction. Yeah. You could almost see it like, so Genesis chapter 12, that was the first time God decided to choose a whole people group to be his answer. They were the instrument that God was going to use to fix the problem. Now, they were a faulty instrument and they needed to get healed. Um, that's, that takes us all the way to Jesus. But before that, God kept working through individuals. He calls Noah, the one righteous person on the earth, and, mm. and he says, okay, mm-hmm. through you, you're going to build this ark. I'm going to cleanse the world. But it didn't work. Um, and so up until then, God had never settled on a people to be his instrument until mm-hmm. chapter 12. But now he says, you know what? This problem has become bigger than just the individual. I can't just call one person to go and be the hero. I need Mm -hmm. to call a people to fix the problem that's become systemic. Well, just as sin expanded and became systemic, so does God's solution expand and become systemic. And and then we land at the church Mm -hmm. where we are a new race in God. In Jesus Christ, we've become adopted children, a race for God as as Christians and 
our our role then is to is to bring God's kingdom into the world. Yeah. One of the things I want to want to point out about the word critical race theory and it really threw me for a loop when I went to to scripture. I mean when I went to seminary. I don't know if you experienced this. You were probably familiar with it before you got there, but I wasn't. I got to seminary and um, one of the words that got thrown around is biblical criticism. Oh yeah. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't criticize the Bible. Yeah. This thing, what are you doing with criticizing the Bible? <laughs> and, and I had to come to an understanding that, that the criticism, biblical criticism, which is still a word used today means to dig in and find the truth of God within it and understand how it's constructed and 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 maybe that's why I haven't been threatened at all by the phrase critical race theory. I'm like, yeah, yeah of course. You bring criticism to the con- construct of race in our culture and you try to figure out where where is it doing harm and where is it doing good? Yeah. And what are the systems in place that are doing damage and what are the systems that are doing harm? And our job is to mitigate that. It's yeah. that's what the criticism is. I, I think part of the violence against it is as it seems like it's got this negative criticism at, at the front of it, meaning We're white trying people to criticize someone. White yeah. people should be criticized because they've been so evil and wrong, which isn't what I see this saying at all. No. And that's a good reminder that and I, I definitely came against that in seminary because that word with biblical criticism, you think it means people that just want to criticize the Bible, but it, in acad- in the academic world, that word does not have that negative connotation. And yeah, that's a good reminder. One, um, maybe, so jumping back to chapter 11, we, were, we got to chapter 12 where God gives the solution is to call a people. Chapter 11 is often thought of when we, like the, the origin of race, essentially. Uh, that Tower of Babel story, they're all united in one voice against God, making a name for themselves. God comes down to see what they're doing, which there's some humor there. They're trying to build a tower to get to heaven, and it's not even tall enough that, that God has to actually come down to see what they're even doing. They're, like, you're supposed to be laughing. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm laughing. So, That's hilarious. So he sees what they're doing, and he mixes up their language so that they can't understand each other, and they have to spread out. A couple key things. This is often called the, the curse uh, of Babel. The word curse never shows up in this story. I think that's intentional. The, the word curse shows up in like chapter three when God's laying out the curses of eating the fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that mixing up the languages here is a curse and the word is never used. It, in fact, the problem is that they're not doing what God originally called them to do. He made them to spread out and to multiply across the earth. That was chapter one and two. The mandate of humanity was to multiply and to spread out. And they're united in one place building up. They're... They're completely in opposition to how they were created to live. It's, it's maybe tough love, I would call it, but God mixing up their languages and essentially creating different cultures in that, in that moment um, forces humanity to do what they were already designed to do and they have to spread out. And now it's like, I like to think of it like God, God's playing the long game because now it's going to be harder. Now to understand each other, we're going to have to go through this hard process of translation and, and it's going to create a lot of strife. Um, but uh, the question that leaves me in chapter 11 is, was that a curse? Did God, um, does God want to then one day erase race and culture and have us all united once more in one language? And if we, if we jump forward, this is, 
going past a lot of different rabbit trails. But if you jump forward all the way to the end, uh, a little clue for me that this wasn't a curse at Babel is that when you see the final picture, the ideal community of God in God's kingdom is in Revelation chapter 7. So we're going from chapter book one of the Bible to the last book of the Bible. And when you see the picture of God's people united uh, around the throne room in chapter 7 of Revelation, it's not. And then I saw a multitude of people and they were all speaking one language again. Like God erased Babel. God never erased Babel because the picture of Revelation chapter 7 is a multitude beyond count from every tribe, tongue, nation, language. The picture of us worshiping God in heaven is all the languages coming together. Like, think about it. When you get to heaven, you're not going to see a bunch of white people speaking English. It's actually going to take a long time maybe to learn all these different languages because every single language on the planet is going to be represented it, represented in that great worship service. So yeah, there's this picture. It's like, I think bringing those two together, the beginning and the end, you see God formed languages to split his people up because they weren't doing what they were mm-hmm. supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So he forced them to spread out. Uh, but then he, he made the one multiple so that the, they could all become one again, but to retain all of their differences. Mm-hmm. Um, you actually see that uh, back in chapter two, God split Adam um, into two. The one became two. And then the end of chapter two is, and then the two become one. So, mm-hmm. but they don't, they don't lose their differences at that point. Mm-hmm. So it's the one becomes two. So the two can become one in their diversity. Yeah. I think it's the picture that we're getting. So, so. good. And, and the, and the underlying theme of it all is, is God's heart for love and justice to run in, in the midst of it all. And yeah. we're, we're coming up on the, on the end of our time. So we're going to have to pick it up and, and talk about it more. I've got some questions for our audience that I want to get answers to. And this um, would be a great one to get some questions. Cause yeah. I'm sure we just opened up a can of worms. We would yeah. love to talk. We more. would love to talk. We would love to talk more. So, but, but at, at the end of the day, the, the people of God, the race that God is creating in, in the Christian church, our role is to bring love and justice to all of the principalities of this world and, and to all of the systems of this world. And so I see, and maybe this is ignorant, but I see critical race theory as an opportunity for the church. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity for us to come alongside people who are identifying injustice and a lack of love in systems that we see, and instead of fighting them on it, coming alongside and being the representatives of love and justice that we are called to be where we can. Now, this is my question. Where can't we with critical race theory? I want to know from our listeners and and watchers. Hi, everybody. We've been kind of talking at the phone and at one another and not you, but... We really want to. We really want to hear where, where, what is it that you've heard of from critical race theory or understand about it that is a line in the sand for you, and why is it a line in the sand? One of the big questions I've got is, why wouldn't we want to teach this to our kids in school? Why are legislators passing laws that you shouldn't be teaching critical race theory when it seems like what it is saying is there are human sin-based flaws in our government and our legal system and society that are doing damage to people. 
why wouldn't we teach? I don't understand why we wouldn't teach that. It just so so, and, and that's a completely ignorant statement. So some of you are like right now, your fingers are warming up to <laughs> yeah. to type away or to send emails. Do we want to hear? Yeah. We want to know. And it, it's going to be different. I think in these types of conversations, we tend to universalize it as if everyone who's speaking of critical race theory is all on the same page. But it's like we have to approach each individual with like, what, what are you actually saying? Mm-hmm. Okay, you professor, what are you actually teaching me? And I, I need to be able to wade into that in a way that says, okay, I can pull from that. This, this is true. And I, and I think the Bible affirms this. What you just said here is not, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think last week we, we talked a little bit about evolution and, and the idea that when, when it's science and it's truth, we as Christians can affirm it when it verges into a faith statement of therefore we don't have to believe in God, I can say, no, I don't have to, I don't have to subscribe to that. And we can actually, you know, responsibly take on all of these things without Mm -hmm. fear. But yeah, it it might be, well, I heard this one article and everything about it is totally wrong. And and we would say, yeah, that sounds wrong. We we don't have to subscribe to that, Mm -hmm. to that proponent of critical race theory. And so it's a little, maybe it feels messier because we can't just blanket reject or accept the whole thing because every individual teacher on this subject is going to be a little different. Right, right. And so my, my second question is uh, is around the origins of this. And I mean, this is a yes or no, which is a horrible question to ask at the end of a podcast. But, but is perchance some of the argument against critical race theory, some of its philosophical origins? Um, I, I, I've been reading a little and Foucault is a part of founding or is cited by the founders as one of the thinkers that brings his origin there. And so is Marx. And so is the rejection based on those two um, atheists um, Mm. and the thought that they brought. Although Foucault had a lot of great things to say. It just wasn't all great. Mm. Um, And Marx had some great things to say, but it just wasn't all great. So how do we... um, how do we navigate that? So the, and I guess, I guess the third question is what, where would you point us to get more information that you've got mm. listeners? Yeah. We'd love to, we'd love to see where you point us. Cause all, all I've done is Google it and looked at some of my best resources and looked at some of the research papers that I've seen and gone back to the past and see what was originally written on it. Um, but really cursorily, and that's about all I've done. So maybe you've got other sources that we're unaware of. Mm. Yeah. Let's start a conversation. Thanks for listening. You can find more about the Kind Faith community at thekindfaith.org.